This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the preview show brought to you by the No Name Never podcast and in association with the Talk Sport Fan Network. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week to discuss everything that went on in the last seven days in the world of Clarets and to preview the next game in the Championship is my good friend and colleague Tom Whitaker. Hello Tom. Uh, Natalie, nice to see you after seeing you in person for the first time in a while at Coventry. I know, we ran into each other, uh, the first family of Burnley, we ran into them at the Coventry game, which was very exciting. As I was a little bit maniac, like running around trying to find everybody, I'd gone by myself and I was trying to find the whole of known and ever. And despite lots of group chat about you all being in the concourse, I came in and you were all scattered everywhere. So listeners, I suspect that the team were trying to avoid me. I think they did. I think they did. But anyway, um, so what have we got lined up for you today? Well, games have been coming thick and fast in October, listeners, but this week we did manage to have a little bit of a rest with no midweek game. Um, as such, Tom and I are going to look back at that uh, away win at Coventry at the weekend, where the Clarets, shock horror, managed to keep hold of a lead, which was pretty amazing, despite... A few moments towards the end where we thought we were going to follow a similar script um, and we're going to look ahead to the next game. So before we get on to any of that, we have a small matter of a quiz question which we need to go through. Um, in a preview of that commentary game, Dave left you the following question. Who was the last player to score a goal for Burnley at Highfield Road and what was the year? Tom, did you know this? I don't think you submitted a question actually. No, I wasn't sure. I, I, I'd have gone to this game, um, but I couldn't remember who scored it again. Okay, well, the answer was Ian Moore, and that was a 2-1 win in February 2005. Congratulations to our two, we had two listeners who got this question, right? Uh, Jan Gilewski, um, Jan, I'm so sorry, I always absolutely murder your last name. So at some point, will you drop me a message and tell me how I'm supposed to pronounce it? That would be lovely. Um, and David Entwistle as well, both got that right. Um, so well done to you two. The rest of you who are... Um, wanting to have another stab at a quiz question well listeners you don't need to wait very long you just need to hang around until the end of the show and we will be leaving you with another perler you can test your claret's knowledge with tom 
the Clarets did it. They broke the 1-1 hoodoo and we managed to win. We managed to get our noses in front and keep hold of that league. It was a very welcome three points in the end. Yeah, it was a big relief. I think the uh, the, the tension in the OAN was palpable. It was. Time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone was just waiting. You know, it was a kind of, well, what minute is this equaliser going to come? But I think that was only really informed by the way that the previous games had gone because I think yeah. on the day we were really comfortable. Um, Peacock Farrell's not had a save to make the whole game. Uh, you know, Coventry had a bit of the ball in the last 20 minutes, but they didn't do anything with it. Um, no shots on target the whole game. I think we, we learned the lessons a bit. I think it's quite encouraging for me. It's not just the fact that we did hang on and win, but it's the way we did it. it yeah. um, we were a bit more... Um, Cynical, I guess, would be the word. It was a bit more of a dice-like performance. It was. Mm. I think we were a bit less sort of possession for possession, save a bit more direct in the game. And uh, I like the fact that he brought on Roberts as well with, with a few minutes to go. It was, we were talking about it on the last podcast, you know, bringing defenders on and just shoring things up, yeah. um, you know, if, if it's not going well. And he seems to take that to heart and it, and it obviously worked. So, yeah, I think he, I think the manager takes a lot of credit for that, uh, for that result. It wasn't the best performance of the season, but what we need to be, especially in a 46-game season, is we need to be a team that can grind out results when we're not at our best. So, yeah, it was really encouraging for me. It was, uh, it was a really good three points. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the things that I've been thinking about with with company is very much it's, its style and substance, isn't it? And I understand it. And, and young managers, particularly ones who've had a career that Vincent Company's had and they've played under Pep and they, they very much buy into the philosophy of entertainment football and one for the purists and you know just the way that they play their football of course that's really important but there does tend to be a little bit of hesitancy towards just doing sometimes what needs to be done and sometimes you have to be quite results orientated and figure out what you need to do to just get that particular you know because at the end of the day we just need to go up it doesn't matter how we get there yes in an ideal world you want to be blowing teams out of the water and being showman but also you have to win as well. And I think some performances this season have, they haven't done the nitty gritty. They haven't done the dirty. They have just done the flair. And that's where we've looked a bit green and a bit naive. Um, and that's okay. And actually there's, there's probably a very few, very small percentage of teams in the world that can do both. And that's why they're the top elite leagues. City obviously being one of them. Um, and weirdly Arsenal this season. I'm not really sure how that's happened, but there you go. Um, you talked about... Peacock foul, actually, there, Tom. One of the things that I've been thinking about recently is I know Murich has his fans and he has his critics and there's some concern about the fast-flowing football and not quite in this language, but messing around with it in the box. We all know what the actual phrase is um, and how that can sometimes lead to results. But when he has been absent through injury, I have genuinely found myself missing that playing out from the back and... I am starting to get a renewed respect for the way that he wants Murich to play. That said, I thought BPF did well on... I think I thought he had a good balance on Saturday. I thought he passed it out when it was safe to do so, but took the cautious approach when it was necessary. And actually, I wonder whether that is something that Murich needs to look at. Yeah, I agree with that. I think to be fair to Murich, um, myself, I don't think he's he's really causes too many problems with his kicking. I think there was the goal against Blackpool where Colin gets robbed and you can put some of the blame uh, for that at Murich's door, I think. But generally speaking, it's 
his kicking is really good. He's really confident. Um, he doesn't give it away very much, I don't think. No. So, no, I don't have too many worries about that. But you're right about Peacock Farrell. You're not sure. Obviously, in the games that he's played previously, um, he's not had to use his feet particularly. You know, it's not it's not the way that he was playing under Dyche. So it was a bit of a worry to think how much is this going to affect our, our style today and, and how much is, you know, sometimes um, the, it's like the style of play comes first and then and you sort of forcing players to play a style of play that they're not comfortable with and, and you're thinking, is he going to be comfortable? He's obviously not a company signing. But yeah, you, I, I, I think it's spot on. I think he did really well. Um, he mixed it up as well. When he had to go long, he went long. When he had to, to play it short, when there was a pass on, he could do it. He looked comfortable. He looked pretty confident. I think he did, cool. actually. Yeah. yeah. His biggest weakness is probably his confidence. I think you can really see when he lets one in, you start thinking he's going to let three or four in here. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. true, actually. Yeah. I saw him play a couple of times last season for Chef Wednesday, actually, when he was out on loan. And I think he had a similar thing there as well. He uh, Now, it's easier for him to have the confidence games in that lower league and when he's obviously playing um, out on loan and he's the better player in that side. But even then, I did see it a couple of times and it was done. Um, second game on the bounce where Taylor was dropped and we played uh, Taylor Howard bellis and Mayer, Bayer, Mayer. I can't remember that. So it's called, is it Mayer, Bayer? What's he called? I've still not learned our squad yet, Thomas. It's shocking. Uh, Bayer. It is Bayer, not Mayer. Um, he had quite a feisty game to our new centre-half. And lucky to stay on the pitch, do we think? What's our analysis of this? I think so overall, yeah. Obviously, the one that he got the yellow for, there were Coventry fans who wanted a red. To me, it wasn't a straight red. Um, no. Just forwards done the old. I'll knock it 10 yards in front of me just so that the guy inevitably brings me down. He wasn't going to get to that ball. He was playing for the foul, um, but he wasn't going to score. So I think the yellow card was, was fair in that instance. Yeah. What he should have gone though for was the pull on the halfway line. He just took his man's shirt and the referee completely bottled, giving a free kick. And he was very, very lucky that, that the referee was, was sort of strong enough to give it because I think the ref knew if, if I give a foul here, I've got to give him a second yellow. Yeah. And it would have been like, it's one of them because it's like just a bit of a tug on the shirt on the halfway line. You think it's harsh to give a yellow for this, but at the same time, he's had to. And if he'd have given a second yellow, you, you couldn't have complained. You would have deserved it. So I think just the fact that it where, where it occurred on the pitch, it was easy for the ref just to kind of sidestep the decision. We got away with one there and looked at company sort of recognised that and uh, and obviously helped better at half time. Yeah, which was necessary, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So it was good, good management, and I thought Taylor stepped in and, and did really well. We know Taylor doesn't let us down normally, and I think he's been really good in that position. He's probably a little bit unlucky to lose his place. Um, I don't think there's that much between Bayer and Taylor to be honest. No, I don't. I wonder whether the Taylor problem is just more that we've been so used to seeing him at left back for such a long time that there's almost like a tendency for fans to write him off as centre-half before they've even given him a chance to. And I think I think there is an element of that. Football fans generally, but definitely Burnley fans, don't like change. Um, and when you've got a player, and I, and I guess there's always that slight weird feeling of why do you buy players for a position and then drop them and play other players who out of position to cover them. And I've dashed at that a lot as well, and I've always found that a little bit strange, so that's fine. Um the other change, Zauri started the game absolutely ineffective through no fault of his own, by the way. I don't think he had a particularly bad performance, but he just came came across, uh, is it the left back? I can't remember who it was. Who was it, who was, or was it the right back? The right yeah, back, yeah. Um, who was just sensational. And, and I think I saw a lot of fans saying that we should be going in and stealing him at, at uh, January, which I uh, 
fully support that move, seconded yeah. here. Um, yeah. But other than that, I did still feel that we're struggling from a little bit of a lack of goal threat, Tom. I don't... Again, the first half, it was great and we were grinding them down and we kept hold of possession and they can't score we've got possession. But it really, obviously apart from the goal in the end, but nothing happened in that first half. And at times I was a little, bored's not the right word, but I was a little, you know, what are we going to do with this? What do we need to do or do we need to do anything in terms of being a little bit more ruthless? Because one goal is often not going to be good in the championships. We do need to start banning some goals from somewhere. What is your grand unified theory for Burnley's attacking threat, Tom? Hit us with it. I think um, the thing that I always come back to is the tempo. Um, the, the tempo is too slow quite a lot of the time. And in, when you're playing teams that are just sitting back, <clears throat> and we've seen it, especially in the home games, a lot of teams are happy to just come and get a point. And the only way that you're going to break those teams down is by counter-attacking quickly and I just don't think we do that enough um, I thought at Coventry we did try to, to move the ball forward more quickly um, I think that was quite noticeable there was less of an emphasis on possession and maybe you could just put it down to a bit of an off day um, I think the other problem that we've got is um, we've, we're lacking a bit of a focal point so Rodriguez he comes very deep and he links he links the attack and it's you know, it's, it, it works well in those kind of games where, where we have got a lot of the ball and we're playing it a lot in there in the thirds, but thought on Saturday it was, it, we were just really lacking something up up top. You know, the, we used to, you know, someone who can hold the ball up and lay it off, and we don't really have that at the minute. And if we are going to play yeah. flat and direct or try and mix it up, then you struggle without that. Um, I, I did think that we needed an option there in the summer. Um, obviously, we've not really seen much of David Shoglu. Um, Barnes, we can't rely on at all. I don't think so. I think we're still we're still missing a number nine, and maybe if we'd have got that other semi from Swansea, or if mm. we go back in January then things will click a little bit more um, but yeah it, it is all right at the minute so I think the biggest thing for me is, is the tempo just let, let just keep Rodriguez a little bit closer to the goal up the tempo try and counter-attack a little bit more or, or move through the thirds a bit quicker um, and once you've got once you've got a goal then I, I don't mind so much if you're sort of probing and, and picking we have seen some games this season where that's paid off but yeah you're right uh, and we've proved this season already that we struggle to hold on to a 1-0 lead so that's going to be the biggest the biggest question for him to answer and uh, you know you keep hearing I think everyone's kind of dream is Scott Twine will come back and he'll start unlocking these defences and a lot you know, of pressure on Scott Twine <laughs> he's have to be like the second coming of Maradona the way people are talking about him now I think but Maybe that's because that one fair point is that he's obviously been signed to play like a number 10 and, and most of the other attackers have signed them more sort of wide players. So perhaps, you know, the, the grand plan, there is a, a, a piece of the jigsaw missing there that we can't replace too easily. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I do think, you know, if he's if he's not incredibly amazing, when if, if and when he is fit, then... Poor <laughs> I know. He's, he's going to be the new Dwight all the way to the world. He's shot. No, no, no let's not even joke about that. Uh, well, let, let's wait and see. I still I still think we're very much in the, the stage where we're just a little bit out of practice with championship football and how it works. 
Nothing gets decided in the first half of the season. Nothing's really done. We've known ourselves in previous championship seasons. We've been way off it. Um, yes, there's some times where there's a team, more seasons as a team that runs away with it. Sheffield United looking strong this year, but we're only two points behind them. Um, it's pretty close at the top right now. But generally speaking, it's just a case of getting to Christmas. And once we come back after the Christmas break, and the January transfer window opens and we can tweak the squad a little bit. Um, I would have thought, given the way it's gone the first half of the Championship and the the players we've attracted, that we'll have no problem strengthening if we need to in January and, and getting some decent players in. So, yeah, let's just see what happens then. In the meantime, Tom, we do have another game. This is the beauty of the championship. We have yet another um, team and another team to look at and another game that we get to play this weekend. We are back at Turf Moor. It's Swansea City at home, Saturday the 15th of October, and it is a 3pm kickoff. Uh, we're going to hand you over to Statman Dave now, our colleague who is our um, Statsman at the Don and Never podcast, and he's going to give us the championship head-to-head. Swansea City have spent 22 previous seasons in the same division as Burnley. However, prior to Swansea gaining City status in the late 1960s, following the investiture of the current King as Prince of Wales at Carnarvon Castle in July 1969, our opponents this weekend were known as Swansea Town. We have played together at all four levels of English league football, and as well as three recent seasons in the top flight, four seasons in the third tier and two in the basement division, more than half, 13, have been in the second tier. And it is our 13 previous second tier home games which we intend to revisit. On this occasion, the majority of those second tier home games were in the distant past. In nine league matches between the two teams at Turf Moor in the 1930s, Burnley lost just once. That was a 2-1 defeat in December 1932, which the Burnley Express described as a dismal display, also adding that the forwards and half-backs were lethargic. The other eight meetings at Turf Moor in the 1930s produced five Burnley wins and three draws. Immediately after World War II, Burnley spent a single season in the second tier and beat Swansea Town, as they were still known back then, by a 1-0 scoreline in September 1946, thanks to a freak goal from Ray Harrison, which was scored when an attempted clearance from fullback Charlie Kitch Fisher was played against Harrison before rebounding into the net. Burnley went on to gain promotion to the top flight at the end of the 1946-47 campaign, and spent the next 24 seasons there. So that just leaves three more second-tier matches at Turf Moor against Swansea City since their name change at the end of the 1960s. And we have one draw, one defeat and one Burnley win to recap in those games. In January 1980, the two teams played out a goalless draw, described in the Burnley Express headline as Lifeless match cost Clarets a victory. The two remaining matches in our list are slightly more recent. In January 2009, Michael Duff was sent off by a young referee by the name of Michael Oliver, who also awarded a penalty, which Jason Scotland scored. And it was that man again, Jason Scotland, who scored again to give the visitors a 2-0 away win. The one remaining second-tier match at Turf Moor was in the 2010-2011 season, but we're going to keep that back as this week's memory match. 
In summary then, there have been 13 previous second tier meetings at Turf Moor, which have resulted in 7 Burnley wins, 4 draws and just 2 defeats. Okay, Tom, looking at some other stats about this game, Dave has shared us all with us, and we'll put this out on socials as well, uh, the next section which we'll look at, which is, of course, those players who have played for both Burnley and Swansea City. Um, quite a short list this week, actually, but with a standout um, player, Nathan Dyer, who's played the most games at 298 for um, Swansea, at least. Um, there's some good names on there, and a couple from our current squad, of course. Yeah, I never realised Connor Roberts was from Swansea. Me he never mentions it, does he? He doesn't like to talk about Swansea. That, that, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> now. Yeah, Connor Roberts, obviously, that'd be interesting to see how he is against his old team and Cork as well. We signed him from Swansea, and I, I think Cork scored against Swansea since as well. So hopefully, he can uh, he can repeat the trick on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Um, some other, some quite older, Leighton James, obviously, um, is is one of the older school ones for our uh, more senior generation of listeners. He's um, obviously a massive amount of appearances for the Clarets and 88 of those um, for Swansea as well. Um, a couple in here that I didn't necessarily um, recognise, Tommy Hutchinson, Barry Powell, Mark Harris, Brad Maylett, none of these really out at all. Do you recognise any of those older names? We're showing our radio, aren't we? This is terrible. A bit before my time, most of them. Yeah, Brad so... Maynard, I remember him. I remember he always used to get like 20 minutes and because he was eating products. So, uh, oh, so of I'll... course. No, I do I remember Brad. Yeah, I look at his picture now. Um, the main, obviously, one who I do want to end on this section is, of course, the the wonderful and late Lenny John Rose, who played for both of them. Um, I think given the career that, that Lenny had, he's going to pop up on a few of these, but it is always nice, particularly after his sad passing. It's always nice for Lenny's, uh, Lenny's face to jump up on here, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you saw as well, um, there was a uh, Legends game on Sunday between, um, it was like a Lenny John Rose 11 and some Barry Legends. And, oh, um, really? And naming a stand after Lenny John Rose at, at at gig lane, so that was really nice. Oh, and, uh, how lovely! Yeah, and uh, like you say, probably quite fitting that way. We're meeting one of his old teams again so soon, so yeah, that's yeah really nice definitely, definitely. Uh, well, moving on, then uh, we're going to hand back over to Statman Dave now, who's going to give us um, his selection for this week's memory match. Picture the scene all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week's memory match is the last meeting at this level between the two teams. Since then, we have experienced three top flight seasons together, 
But our last match in the Championship against Swansea City was just over a decade ago, in April 2011. Eddie Howe was the Burnley manager after being appointed a few months earlier, and it was Brendan Rodgers who was in charge of our visitors. Former Burnley loanee Nathan Dyer was in the Swansea City starting lineup, and the Burnley team included Jack Cork and Jay Rodriguez. There were no goals in the first half, but it was the Swans who took the lead in the 53rd minute, through Chelsea loanee Fabio Barini, who broke through and finished a one-on-one with Brian Jensen with a low shot. However, the Clarets were only behind for four minutes, before a Chris Eagles cross was headed into his own net by Ashley Williams. Thirteen minutes before the end, Angel Rangel was penalised for a foul on Jay Rodriguez, and up stepped Chris Eagles to fire home the spot kick. There was still time for Eddie Howe to introduce Graham Alexander as a late substitute for Chris Eagles, for a milestone 1,000th career appearance. And he nearly marked that milestone with a goal, only being denied by the woodwork from a late free kick. Burnley held on to their lead without too much further drama and won the match 2-1. I don't think there'll be too many complaints from Burnley fans if that same scoreline was repeated this Saturday. And listeners, as you know, we don't like to just give you a one-sided view of our opposition on the on the previous show. We do like to talk to our opposition fans as well. And this week we are joined by Guto Llewellyn from the Jack Cast podcast. And he's giving us his thoughts ahead of the game. Hello, this is Guto Llewellyn, Swansea City fan, uh, recording a clip for the No Name Never podcast. So here goes. Swansea City season can basically be split into two parts. The first seven games saw us win just one league match, which was obviously disappointing. There was a lot of patience with manager Russell Martin, a lot of faith last season in what was a very transitional campaign. But there were hopes that this season would be better. So one win in the first seven was definitely disappointing after a summer of elevated expectations. Performances were mixed in that period. There were some very good displays, but there were also some real stinkers and a problem which is... Very, very familiar to Burnley fans. We could not keep hold of leads. We threw away points late on in games very needlessly. And this just added to the frustration. There was a bit of pressure on Russell Martin. Fans beginning to turn maybe. That has all changed in the last six games. We've won five and six now, including four in a row for the first time since August 2019, which is a real, real boost. There seems to be a real good mood around around the place. And in truth... The changes which have enabled those results to come, they've been due to minor changes which have just gently swung the balance slightly in our favour. We're a little bit tougher, both physically and mentally. We're making fewer mistakes at the back. Uh, We're holding our nerve late on in games. We're also finding different ways of scoring. So we started scoring from set pieces, which is a major boost. We're getting goals from lots of different players, not reliant on the likes of Joel Pirro and Michael Obafemi, which is certainly the case before. And uh, we just look to be much more confident in ourselves and much more short. We're also moving the ball much faster and not dawdling at the back and inviting pressure, which is a major change uh, in the way that we are playing. So that puts us in a pretty good mood going into Burnley uh, this Saturday and I'd expect our approach to the game to be the same as it is for every game. We're going to try and keep the ball, we're going to try and be adventurous with it, we're not going to be intimidated by Burnley and I think we're going to try and get the ball forward a bit quicker than we um, were in at the start of the season. 
try and get into dangerous areas and we've got clinical finishers who can who can take chances so uh, I think it's going to be a very entertaining game when you look at the two teams and their attributes it's all set up to be um, a great watch between two good footballing teams pretty similarly placed in the in the table and with similar stats in many ways as well in terms of lineups key things to look at defense is Harry Darling going to keep his place against um, uh, instead of Kyle Norton that's something a lot of fans would back who plays at right wing back Matty Sorinola who's been gaining confidence over the last few weeks or the more defensively minded Joe Latibaudier who was linked with Burnley in the summer and will we go hell for leather and play both Joe Pirro and uh, Michael Obafemi in attacking positions or will we just play one of them couple of uh, nice, difficult decisions for the manager to make. We've got like, the, those options now, which is something we didn't have before. I think it's going to be a difficult game. Burnley's home record obviously indicates that Turf Moor is a very tough place to go. Um, but I think we've got what it takes to get at least a point out of this game. The form that we're in, the confidence that we're showing, uh, and the style of play as well. I think it's going to cause a few problems for Burnley and even if Burnley take the lead we know that there is that vulnerability there to exploit and with us scoring late goals recently and and not giving up in games we're not we're not going to feel out of this game until the final whistle so hopefully um, I think we can pick up something I think a point would be a good result so I'm going to go for a one all draw housekeeping then Tom before we move on to have a think about how we're going to play it at the weekend and that is to discuss who our referee is going to be Stephen Martin of Stafford will be the referee for Burnley's home game against Swansea City this Saturday afternoon Burnley have won all four of the previous matches he's taken charge of all of these were in the championship between 2014 and 2016 three away on one at Turf Moor However, we have seen him more recently, as well as those four competitive matches from our last two championship campaigns. He was also in charge of our pre-season friendly at Shrewsbury Town prior to the start of this season, a match which we also won. That's good omen, is that? May it long continue. Um, I guess looking ahead to this game at the weekend, Tom, the probably the most obvious place to start is whether, well, assuming that we expect another side to come to Turf Moor and shut up shop against us and try and get a point, which has been a recurring theme this season at Turf Moor. And secondly, are we learning how to get around that and start to break these teams down? How do you expect Tim to approach this game? I think it's a really interesting one, actually, because I think this would be probably the game where the away side comes out as the most uh, Swansea obviously similar to us in the way they play its possession style though you know with two teams that both like to have the majority of the ball so it's going to be interesting to see who can sort of impose themselves on the game the most I think whoever uh, has to settle for less possession is going to be thrown out of the rhythm a little bit yeah um, yeah so that'll be interesting Swansea obviously on really good form won the last four I think they'll be coming they'll be looking for three points whether or not they'll get them of course is another matter but I don't think they're going to sit back and uh, you know and dig in and, and play for a point. I think that's going to play into our hands. Um, well, I hope it does. It's going to be interesting to see you know how we how we do deal with that and you know do we look like a fantastic team uh, who just pulls other sides apart when we have when we are afforded a little bit more time and space. Um, I think probably what worries me is we've mentioned him already, Michael Abafemi, and uh, they've got Piro as well. They've got two really good centre forwards, and uh, as much as I'm a fan of Rodriguez, I don't think he's 
he offers us as much as those two do for Swansea. So if you're going to ask me where it might be won and lost, uh, I do worry a little bit. I think they've got a little bit more up front than us. But I think because the styles are so similar and because we've not really faced a team like that and since we've moved to this kind of new possession pattern style, I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I'm, uh, I'm really intrigued to see how we get on against it. Yeah, definitely. I wonder whether we... Like, what do you think we will do when we talk about which side's going to concede possession? I just can't see it being us. Actually, this could end up being perhaps one of the most competitive games and active games that we've been involved in this season. I don't think it'll be us. It's, it's really, I find it really hard to call, actually, because you could you could argue, I think probably on paper, we've got the better players. Yeah. Um, especially in the midfield. And you know, I think Cork and Cullen is, uh, yeah. is a brilliant midfield at this level. Um, but then Swansea have been doing it for another, you know, they've had a, a season of, of playing this kind of football under the belts. They're in really good form with it at the minute. Um, they do look good, actually. I've seen them a couple of times. They look really yeah, good. Impressive, aren't they? And like the sort of, I think they've got more goals in them than us. Well, yeah. than we at the minute, which is, like I say, that's what worries me. But but it, it's really, I, I, because it's so new for us, because we haven't played a team with this possession style, it, it, it's, I find it so difficult to call. I'm re- yeah. I really don't know what to expect or it. I really don't know if we're going to have more of the ball, less of the ball. Are we going to do something different and perhaps go a bit more direct like we saw last week? What are we going to do if we want the love? Are we going to try and keep it? Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to see, actually. It's going to be a really good game, I think. I feel like we're either going to draw nil-nil and neutralise each other or we'll take our first hammering and lose like 4 nil. Because I am concerned about our defence. Our defence hasn't massively been tested yet. Fair enough, there was that high-scoring goal um, of the Blackpool game where we conceded three. I think, is that the most we've conceded this season? I think it is, isn't it? Um, But that was a fluke game. It was a derby and it was just, it was a weird game where there was individual errors. Generally speaking, we haven't looked like conceding more than the odd one goal. But this could be a game where our defence is massively tested and, and they've not filled me with confidences yet. No, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because they don't seem to be tested too much in a lot of the games. Uh, we have a lot of the ball. Obviously, we get a kind of defence. The attack, sorry, is the best one with defence, that kind of motto. But then, like you say, if, if people get at us, we do look a bit vulnerable. But then the kind of goals that we've we've seen as concede, set pieces and, and crosses into the box, that's not really Swansea's game. They, you know, they're more kind of play on the floor possession, slow build-up like us. Yeah. So, our defence would be better suited to that, you know, the, the more ball players and we've got deeper line midfielders to kind of cut out the supply. So, yeah, again, I just find it really, really hard to predict um, how that's going to go. I think you're probably right. I think it, it you could see a shellacking from either side or you could see a shellacking <laughs> out as well. It's, yeah, it's it, it's hard to tell. Um, but, yeah, I don't worry about the defence too much. I think you were thinking about it when you mentioned then about three, three considering a flat ball. I think I'm right in saying I don't think there's been another game where we've conceded more than one goal. No, I was just thinking the same thing. I don't think there has. I can't. Yeah, the, the only game we lost was Watford and that was 1-0. And mm. then the rest of the draws have been 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, yeah, that's it. So Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's either been yeah. one or three. Yeah, no, I, yeah. it's been very strange. It has been yeah. very strange. I am. I'm genuinely from a tech. I think this is going to be a really good test. It's, it's not the one that on paper you think is going to be the biggest test for us this season. But actually... I think the more you dive into this, you can start to appreciate that this is going to be some weird test for the Clarets this season that you wouldn't necessarily see coming. Um, with that in mind, Tom, do you want to give me your score prediction, please? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say no then. I thought you were like, no. 
<laughs> I don't want to. Uh, come on. Um, do you know, it seems a bit obvious because it's been probably the, the score we've had the most this season, but I could see this being a 1-1 draw, to be honest. Um, not not a frustrating 1-1 draw as we have had where we're, we're on top for most of the game and, and uh, the yeah. late equaliser out of the blue. I think it might just be a 1-1 where both teams, yeah, like you say, probably cancel each other out to an extent. We both have good spells and, and we come away and think it was a fair point. Uh, that's to me, that's the most likely result. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we won 3 0, and I wouldn't be that surprised if we lost 3 0 either. It is, it is very tough to call. It is. Right. Well, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to try and make a prediction every single week on the preview show about Burnley winning. I'm not going to go away from a win. I'm going to back the boys every single game. I think it's going to be 2 0. I think we'll get our noses in front quite early. Um, in the first half, around the 23rd minute, I think. I'm being very specific here. But the 23rd minute, will go 1-0 up. I think you're right. I think it'll be a super close game and it'll be very difficult to judge. And I think a Swansea push towards the end for an equaliser, we'll get them on the break and we'll score a second, a late second goal. So there you go. That's my prediction. Brommers bankers, please, listeners, don't bet on that. I keep seeing tweets from people who are putting bets on my weekly prediction. I don't know anything. I'm terrible at this sort of thing. Um, please gamble responsibly and don't put any money on anything that I ever say. Um, but I do want to hear your predictions, please, listeners. I want you to either tweet us or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at previewshow at noneandever.com. Net. Uh, we will leave you with the, the preview of the Swansea game with Statman Dave's tweet, uh, tweet of the week. That's a very old known and ever feature. Gosh, our long-term listeners will remember that tweet of the week. It's not the tweet of the week. It's the miscellaneous stat of the week. Over to you, Dave. Ashley Barnes is approaching another milestone in his Burnley career. He came off the bench towards the end of our 1-0 win at Coventry City and this was the 97th time he has been introduced as a substitute for the club. The way things are going, it may not be too long before he makes his 100th substitute appearance. However, there is one Burnley player who has come on as a sub more than Ashley Barnes. That player is Sam Vokes, who made 109 substitute appearances for the Clarets. Big Sam is also the joint top scorer off the bench with 10 goals. The other player who can boast 10 goals as a sub for Burnley is Stephen Thompson, although he achieved this feat with just 65 appearances from the bench. Okay, listeners, as ever, we move into the second half of this week's preview show by giving you an update on the Fantasy Premier League. Um, as ever, our resident FPL expert, Adam Dennett, has been trawling through the league tables and all the stats. And I'm going to hand over to Adam now to give you an update as to what's been happening in our league. Hi, Adam here with your No Nay Never Game Week 10 Fantasy Premier League update. Starting with last week's team of the week, uh, we've got lining up in a 3-5-2 formation. Two Spurs players start off the team of the week. Um, Hugo Lloris in goal and Romero um, keeping clean sheets and getting bonus points in their 1-0 victory over Brighton. Ashley Young on the score sheet for Aston Villa for the first time in a long time uh, in their 1-0 draw at Forest, also picking up three bonus points. And João Cancelo, picking up a massive 18 points in Man City's 4-0 win at home to Southampton. Phil Forden, moving into midfield. Phil Forden also got a goal and assist in that game. 
getting 11 points. Uh, Mason Mount, uh, 12 points in Chelsea's resounding victory over Wolves. And then two Arsenal players, um, Saka and Martinelli, both racking up goals and assists in their victory over Liverpool. Um, Bruno Gamares getting two goals for Newcastle and all three bonus points in their um, route against Brentford. 5-1, that one finished. And up front, uh, Skamaka from West Ham, who seems to have defla- uh, deplaced Mikel Antonio in the starting eleven after showing good form in Europe uh, with the winning goal and uh, all three bonus points. Uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo making a return, came on as a sub for Anthony Martial um, and getting the winning goal in their uh, 2-1 victory at Everton. Now moving on to your no-name-ever top 10. Uh, in joint 10th place are Jack Toner and my mate from Tom and Dan Main. In ninth place, Andy Bick um, with 635 points. And in eighth place, also on 635 points, is my vintage claret side. It uh, feels a bit strange announcing myself in the top 10, but hopefully it won't be the last time this season. Uh, in seventh place is Evan Dobson uh, with 644 points. Um, joint six, actually, with Gemma Avery. And then in joint fourth place are Mark Robinson and Daniel Shepherd with 647 points. And your top three. In third place, Peter Shuttleworth on 649 points. Second, Adam Kay, 652 points. And top of the shop, playing his bench boost this week and really benefiting from it, was Rupert Booth and his Colne Kickers. Uh, Colne spelt the German football club way, not, um, not the local town. On 665 points, um, well done, Rupert. And uh, there'll be another league update. The next time, next time I bring you a fancy Premier League update. On to um, game week eleven, uh, and uh, and looking ahead to game week twelve. There's been a few high-profile injuries to um, to highly owned players in the last couple of weeks. So Trent Alexander-Arnold, Reese James, Kyle Walker, Luis Diaz, Mitrovic are all either out or doubts for game week eleven. Uh, it seems like the perfect time to use your wild card if you haven't done already. Uh, you, just a reminder, you do lose it in game week 16 if you don't use it. Um, that's the game week before the World Cup. And the big question really is what to do with those Arsenal and Man City assets. In the last few weeks, I've been saying to be aware of game week 12, where they're both blank. And now we're only one week game week away. My thoughts towards it have changed. Uh, previously, I was worried about how to get rid of all my t- um, all the players um, from my team um, that play for Man City and Arsenal but now I'd say the best thing to do is to keep three of their assets if you can and bench them for the blank players like Haaland, Cancelo and Martinelli are definitely worth keeping as City and Arsenal genuinely look like the best teams in the league this season and both have fantastic f- fixtures after the blank game week uh, and if anything you'll want to be uh, adding players like Ford and KDB um, Jesus and Saka uh, to the players I've already mentioned before. Uh, benching the three obviously does mean that you'll have to make sure you've got 11 players that start for their respective sides to field a full team in game week 12 uh, and with the amount of injuries around that could be tricky. Another dilemma is what to do with Liverpool assets 
Um, but and it did seem like the right time to bring Salah back into the team if you haven't got him already. But poor form, he would. He's been on poor form and he's been he was non-existent against Arsenal. Uh, but then in midweek he bangs in a six-minute hat trick against Rangers. It could cause some big point swings if you fall on the right or wrong side of that decision. Um, just quickly as well, uh, the game weeks come thick and fast in the next week. So the best advice I can give you is just to be really on the ball with when the deadlines are. So game week 11 uh, deadline is Friday at 6.30pm. And then game week 12 is a midweek game week, Tuesday 6 o'clock deadline. And then the following Saturday, 11am is game week 13. Uh, a lot of information there. So if you've got any questions, you can drop us a tweet at no Nay Never or email preview show at net. Wishing you all green arrows in game week 11. Up the clarets. And finally, we leave you with this week's quiz question. Now, this relates to back to substitutes, which was the topic of our stat of the week and is what we want to know. Your question, listeners, this week is, can you name the first Burnley player to be brought on as a substitute in a competitive match? And what was the year? Listeners, that is a... I'm going to I'm going to go out on a flyer here and suggest that that was quite some time ago, uh, probably way before most of us were born. Uh, but if you do know that or you want to Google it, because you know what, we're all about participation here. I fully embrace you finding that information and submitting the answer. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you can tweet us or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can send us your answer at previewshow at net. That is all we have time for. Tom, any final words before we leave our lovely listeners this week? Uh, no, just to uh, get down to support the, support the boys. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a really good game. I'm really intrigued. So if you're sitting on the fence, you know, uh, you're not sure whether to go, think about the fascinating tactical matchup that's in store on Saturday and get yourself down and enjoy the game. What a fantastic ending. I could not have put that better myself. Well, that is all we have time for. And my thanks as ever go to everyone who has contributed to this week's podcast. The podcast host is myself, Natalie Bromley, and our producer is Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our analysis show team are Tom Whittaker, Richard Steele, Adam Dennett, George Poole, Robbie Kopak, and Charlotte Rigby. Um, our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith and you can subscribe to that at substack.nonanever.net. And finally, our thanks to our sponsors, the Non and Never Preview Show is brought to you by the Fan Network on TalkSport. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other. In the meantime, we will be back next week. This has been the preview show brought to you by the Non and Never podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year.
Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.